Thank you. Now we come to the second part of our Bible reading, Acts 27, verses 27 to 44. Thank you, Megan. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching the land. They took the surroundings and found the water was 40 metres deep. A short time later, they took the surroundings again and found it was 30 metres deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let their lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going, they were going to lower some anchors from the, from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last four... For the last 14th days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and you have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, the li- they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They then hoisted the the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on the other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. Thank you, Megan. Wow, what a storm, what a story. <clears throat> so just to... Uh, uh, sorry, I've got my pages all in the wrong order. Very sorry. Bear with me just one moment. <laughs> dear, 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 that's better. Got there. <laughs> Right, feeling safe in the storm. What stops us from feeling safe? What is the biggest hindrance to us serving God and going all out for him? What stops us so often from telling the good news out there, evangelizing, putting ourselves on the line for God? Isn't it fear? Fear paralyzes us 
Fear in the storm paralyzes us from doing the very things that we need to do. Fear and the need to stay safe holds us back. Fear makes us look at the waves and the wind as Peter did when he tried to walk on the water like Jesus and that fear caused him to start to sink. Jesus says over and over, do not be afraid. Why do you fear? It is I. I'm here. Look at me. Don't look at the danger. So how did Paul apply that in this story? And what was the secret of overcoming fear so that he felt safe? And not only felt safe himself, but managed to convince all the others that were with him to feel safe. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning in this story, because it is in overcoming fear that we can feel safe in the very darkest times of our lives. And by the way, it's not a sin to feel afraid. (laughs) I bet Paul felt afraid in that ship. It's absolutely natural and it's human. That's why Paul tried to persuade them not to set sail in the first place. He could see what the danger was going to be and he didn't want to go there. It's not feeling afraid that's the issue. It's how we deal with that fear, how we overcome it and keep going that matters. So let's have a look at this story. First of all, uh, a look at the background. Now, I gather that you've been going through Acts and looking at uh, Paul's life and what Paul has been doing. So really, I think I'm just refreshing what you already know. Paul had dual citizenship. He was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. He he knew thoroughly the Old Testament scriptures. He knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, he could converse with Jews and with Gentiles alike quite freely. He was the ideal person, God's chosen person, appointed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul knew that that's what his mission was. He knew that that was what God wanted him to do. Through his dramatic conversion experience on the Damascus Road uh, and his utter conviction of the reality of the risen Jesus and what that meant in terms of hope for all of us, he was passionate about the gospel, passionate about bringing everyone to faith in Jesus, passionate about preaching the good news to as many people in as many places as he could. He begins every one of his letters to the churches with something like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the church at Philippi, Ephesus, whoever he was writing to. He knew that God, <coughs> excuse me, God had appointed him to do this. And now he was going to Rome. He had used the situation of his arrest by the Jews to appeal to Caesar, as was his right as a Roman citizen. And he asked to be sent to Caesar. As you heard last week, he'd already convinced Festus and King Agrippa that he had done nothing to deserve the death sentence. Uh, And he had the amazing opportunity to preach the truth to the king, no less. And now he had the chance to go to Rome. How strategically important was it for Paul to go to Rome? How important was it to God to take the good news of salvation through Jesus to the epicenter of the known world? 
What significance could this have on the spread of the gospel to every part of the known world if he could take it to Rome? It was hugely important, significant, it was crucial. And Paul was willing to go knowing that it was God's will and express intention for him to go to Rome. So here's our first point. Be in the centre of God's will. Paul was in the centre of God's will. He had every confidence that because God had called him to go to Rome, he would take him safely there. He had committed himself, mind, soul and body, to the service of God. He knew his calling and what God had specifically called him to do, what God had been preparing him for all his life, with his unique upbringing and his gifts and abilities, God had prepared him for this. He had a vision before him to preach the good news, to be all things to all people, that by all means I might win some. And he was prepared to face arrests, beatings, floggings, imprisonment, shipwreck, and unimaginable sufferings, anything, so long as he was in the centre of God's will for his life. Forgetting what lay behind, striving forward to the prize of that upward call in Jesus. That was his whole raison d'etre, his whole reason for living. And he was not going to let the threat of a little storm upset that mission for God and throw him off course. As we heard in the story, God reinforced his conviction through the appearance of an angel, telling him not to be afraid and that he must go to Rome and stand trial before Caesar, and that God would spare the lives of all who sailed with him. So Paul knew at the beginning that God was calling him to Rome, and here in the middle of the storm, God repeats the call. God, Paul, is in the centre of God's will. It's the safest place to be. It was also the safest place for all those around him to be safe where God wants us to be. When we know what God has called us to do, where he has called us to be, with the people that he has placed us amongst, then we can have the confidence of his presence with us, his strength, his equipping of us of all that he asks us. God will never lead us where his love cannot hold us. And therein is our safety. Just a little word here about what God has not called us to do. On our own, we cannot solve all the problems of the world. We can get so hung up sometimes as Christians, thinking that we've got to do everything. And we can end up in a storm of our own making, uh, running ourselves ragged, doing, not doing anything efficiently, because we're trying to do everything in our own strength. And it's all too much. And we find ourselves drowning under the weight of it. And that's when fear creeps in because we're doing too much. And God does not expect us to do that. Being in the centre of his will for what he does want us to do means being guided by the Holy Spirit for what he is sensibly calling us to do, not what he's not calling us to do. Yes, sometimes he calls us to get exhausted in serving him, but generally he does not expect us to run ourselves ragged 
because we're taking on more than we can possibly do. Be guided by the Holy Spirit in what God is calling you to do. Have the grace and the humility to let God call other people to what he's calling them to do. Be in the center of God's will for you. Secondly, follow the example of Jesus. Paul was exactly following the example of Jesus. This story is an echo of what happened when Jesus and his disciples were out in the boat, as we did with the children earlier when we cooked up a storm. Uh, they were out on the Lake of Galilee and the furious storm broke out. Uh, and uh, if you read the story in Mark's Gospel, at the beginning of that story, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let us get into a boat and we'll try and see if we can get there. Uh, let us just have a go. No, he says, let us go to the other side of the lake. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to get to the other side of the lake. <laughs> he knew that there was work over them for, there for him to do. When they got to the other side, there is the story of the man called Legion, uh, who was possessed by demons, and, and Jesus was uh, going to heal him. Had Jesus been that way before? Had he been to that region? Did he know that man was there? Did he know that this was the time for that man to be healed? We don't know. But either way, Jesus knew that he was in the center of God's will for him, and he knew that he was going to the other side of the lake, and he had every intention of getting there. He was so confident of that, and so feeling safe, that he fell asleep in the back of the boat. <laughs> and the disciples were panicking. Uh, and uh, we do need to recognize that if we're following God's will for our lives, uh, and doing stuff for him, the devil will try to stop us any way he can. And we need to be prepared for that and be on our guard against his attacks. But Jesus is stronger than the devil. And we need not fear the devil's attacks. But here, Jesus recognized the fear in his disciples. It must have been some storm. The disciples were hardened fishermen. They knew that lake well. They knew the storms that could blow up. And yet suddenly they were really, really afraid. And Jesus saw that. Uh, they woke Jesus up to do something about it. And Jesus stopped the storm. And then he said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, after all you've seen and heard of me, all that you've seen me do, do you still not understand my power, my love for you, and that you're safe with me? I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. And you're safe with me. There is safety in that. Just a little side note here. The disciples were afraid in that storm. But when Jesus stopped the storm, they were terrified. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Does that say something to us about the way that we come into God's presence to worship him? Sometimes so casually, almost flippantly, do we not recognize whose presence we're coming into? Do not fear the storm. Have a healthy, awe-filled reverence 
for the one who drives out the fear of the storm. So Paul would have known this story, and Paul, just like Jesus, knows from the beginning where he's going and why, and has every confidence that God will get him safely there. Be in the center of God's will, follow the example of Jesus, if you want to feel safe in the storm. Thirdly, maintain common sense. Now, I have to make a confession here. I'm going to admit that I'm not very good in medical emergency situations. Now, this is silly because I'm a trained nurse. I'm a bit out of date now at my age, but I am a trained nurse. It's a strange thing. It seems to be particularly since I've had children that somehow I am no good in an emergency first aid situation. I tend to panic. I think it's a fear of doing the wrong thing and making things worse So I end up doing nothing at all, and I'd far rather somebody else got and dealt with it. Dear, oh dear. Uh, Not so with Paul. Uh, Yeah, uh, not so with Paul, because he's confident and he's trusting of God. And he's able to put himself aside and think entirely of the other people around him. Not just their spiritual well-being, but their physical well-being as well. He's aware of everything that's going on in this story. Even those who are quietly trying to escape on their own and get to safety. Paul conveys to them all his vision from God. uh, His encouragement that all of them will be safe if they all stay together. It's remarkable because Paul was actually a prisoner on that ship. And yet it's Paul who takes control and tells them all not to be afraid and keeps them focused and on track. Uh, That's what happens when fear is banished. We become calm and confident and we know what to do and we're in control. Paul even thinks to make them sit down and eat something. He knows they hadn't eaten for 14 days. I can't imagine that. They hadn't eaten anything. So he says, you must eat something. You need to build up your strength if you're going to get safely to shore. That is just so practical. And again, it shows loving concern for other people's well-being. And it's again following the example of Jesus. Jesus looked out at the crowds and he had compassion on them. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He raised Jairus' daughter to life when she had died. And then he told her parents to give her something to eat. (laughs) She needed something to eat. And they needed something to do to overcome their stunned reaction at what Jesus had just done. Give her something to eat. Doing something mundane and ordinary and practical can be so helpful in a crisis or a storm. It gets us focused. It gets us thinking of others. It calms us down. Put the kettle on. Make a cup of tea. Put a blanket over the casualty. Give them a brolly to hold over until the ambulance arrives. Simple, practical, common sense things. And it calms people down and helps us to see the way forward, builds us up for the next step. God does not expect us to stop the storm. That's his job. If he chooses to do that, he doesn't always do that. More about that in just a moment. He does not expect us to solve all the problems, nor to do the impossible, as we touched on earlier. But when we're centred on him, 
when we're trusting in him and in doing what he has called us to do, he will show us the obvious, ordinary, common sense things to do to help ourselves and those around us to find safety. So use common sense. There's never nothing that we can do in a situation. Sorry about the two negatives there, but there's never nothing that we can do. Even if the only thing we can do is pray, then pray. Trust in the God who is able to show us the next step. Sheer common sense is so often the thing that drives out fear and keeps us going. So finally, fourthly, when God doesn't stop the storm. I don't know if you remember the old pop song from the 60s, and I'm showing my age here. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Yeah, I can see a few smiles. (laughs) God never promised that following him would be easy. He never promised that nothing bad would ever happen to us. Becoming a Christian is not a panacea for all ills, like an insurance policy against any disaster. God does not stop bad things happening to good people. Christians in other parts of the world, as we were reminded in our prayers this morning, are being horribly persecuted and murdered for their faith, and God doesn't stop it. We wish he would, but he doesn't, and stuff happens. Jesus warned his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. More about that in just a moment. We are in the world, the same as everyone else. We're not immune from all that life can throw at us. To achieve that, we would have to be taken out of the world. And you remember Jesus praying in his great priestly prayer in John chapter 17, the night before the crucifixion. He prays to God, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. No, we are in the world, we are in the storms, and stuff happens. You see, we all love that story that we shared with the children, with Jesus and the disciples on the lake, because Jesus stood up and he stopped the storm. And that's what we would want him to do in every situation. We want him to stop the storm. But there is another story of the disciples out on the lake struggling against the wind and the waves. Uh, and the rough seas and Jesus had stayed behind uh, on land to spend time praying with God and then he saw the disciples out on the lake really struggling and he came to them walking on top of the water it does not say if you read the story in John's gospel John chapter 6 verses 16 to 21 it does not say that Jesus stopped the storm What John does say is that Jesus got into the boat with them and straightway we reached the other shore. (laughs) Now again, if you read that story carefully with a map of the Lake of Galilee and you look at the details, there is no way they could straightway have reached the other shore. They were still some miles away from the shore when Jesus joined them on the boat. But it seemed to to John that as soon as Jesus was with them in the boat, they reached safety. 
He had learned the lesson from the previous experience that when Jesus was with them, they were safe. Jesus didn't stop the storm on that occasion, but he was there with them in it, battling through it and dealing with it. And you know what? That is God's promise to us. He is always there with us in it. I will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what. God's promise to us overall, that great hope of the gospel, the good news that Paul was so passionate about taking to every part of the world, including Rome, is that because of what Jesus has done for us in dying for us and being raised to life, those of us who are in Christ Jesus have the reassurance of ultimate salvation, of resurrection, forgiveness, reconciliation with God the Father, and the promise of eternal life with him. Therefore, why should we be afraid? Even if the very worst should happen to us, even if I should go into Cambridge tomorrow and be caught up in a terrorist attack and blown to bits, God has promised that he is there with us, that he will carry us through ultimately to that ultimate other side, to that safe haven where nothing can ever hurt us ever again. Why should we be afraid? That is the promise of safety that he will carry us through. I'm sure that you all remember, obviously you do, uh, the um, 9-11 attack uh, when the terrorists attacked the two twin towers uh, in America. After that attack, there were people asking the usual questions, where was God in all of this? Why didn't God stop it? Why did God allow that to happen? Where was God in it all? Somebody wrote a reply to that on God's behalf and posted it on the internet. To my knowledge, it's never been discovered who wrote it. But it's called, I was there. You say that you will never forget where you were when you heard the news on the 11th of September. Neither will I. I was on the 110th floor in a smoke-filled room with a man who called his wife to say goodbye. I held his finger steady as he dialed. I gave him the peace to say, Honey, I'm not going to make it, but it's okay. I was with his wife when he telephoned. She was making breakfast for the children. I held her up as she tried to understand his words and as she realised that he wasn't coming home that night. I was in the stairwell of the 23rd floor when a woman cried out to me for help. I have been knocking on the door of your life for 50 years, I said. Of course, I will show you the way home. I was at the foot of the building with the priest ministering to the injured. I took him home to tend to his flock in heaven. He heard my voice and answered. I was on all four of those planes, in every seat, with every prayer. I was with the crew as they were overtaken. I was in the very hearts of the believers there, comforting and assuring. I was in Texas, in Kansas, in London, 
in Birmingham. I was standing next to you when you heard the news. Did you feel my presence? I want you to know that I saw every face. I knew every name, though they did not all know me. Some met me for the first time on the hundredth floor. Some sought for me in their last breath. Some couldn't hear me calling out to them through the smoke and the flames. And some chose, chose for the final time to ignore me. But I was there. I did not place you in the towers that day. You may not know why, but I do. However, if you were there in that moment in time, would you have reached out for me? The 11th of September 2001 was not the end of the journey for you. But someday your journey will end. And I will be there for you as well. I will be in the stairwell of your final moments. Nana Muscuri sang years and years ago. You young ones won't remember her, but she used to sing a sand. Put, uh, 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 she used to sing a song. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. The challenge to us this morning is to put your hand in the hand of the man who does not always still the water or calm the sea. But he is the man who rises above the storm, walks on water above the raging waves, who lifts you above the storm, steers you through it and carries you safe to shore, even if that means the other heavenly shore where there are no more storms, no pain or suffering or crying or tears or death, but only peace and joy and light in Christ Jesus, who has overcome the tribulation of the world. If that is our promise in Jesus, if that is our sure and certain hope in him, if that is our ultimate goal in where he is leading us, why should we be afraid? Fear not, it is I, I am with you to the end of the age and beyond. Be in the centre of God's will for your life. Follow the example of Jesus. Maintain common sense. And when God doesn't stop the storm, know that he is there with you in it and will carry you through it to that eternal safe heaven with him forever. Amen. So let's stand and sing our final song this morning. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>